It's the Americhips with Kim Monson. Now, while this is all going on, I went through President Trump's speech and uh, Chuck and Nancy's rebuttal. The most important story. The American people finally said enough, and that is why they elected Donald Trump. The latest in politics and world affairs. Britain's version of Medicare for All is struggling with long waits for care. And opinions and ideas that prepare you to tackle the day ahead. Because ideas matter. It's the Americhicks, dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, let's have a conversation. Indeed, let's have a conversation. Welcome to the Americhicks with Kim Munson. We have a big show planned for you today. Today is our Federalist Papers show. I'm thrilled to have in studio with me a guest Ameridude. That is Ben Martin. Great to have you here. I'm very happy to be here. Ameridude. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, before. you're an Ameridude. That's, That's yeah, a new name. I'm happy. Yes. Yeah. Thank and you. uh, you're a former Army Ranger, and uh, you are a patriotic historian. That's correct. And I took a couple of classes that you had offered, and they were really, really terrific. You brought this history alive. And so it's just great to have you here. We we normally do this show after our uh, original Vino and Veritas, which meets the last Monday of each month uh, at Water's Edge Winery over in Centennial. And I uh, want to say thank you to the Harris family. Uh, they are sponsoring this Federalist Paper show. They have a real heart for the American idea. And so thank you to the Harris family for bringing this show to you today. Uh, but, Ben, it is very exciting. Tonight is going to be the very first Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. And uh, then on Sunday will be the Vino and Veritas in Castle Rock. So if you want more information, this study of the Federalist Papers, uh, email me at americhicks.com forward slash Kim, and I'll get some information to you. I'll get you know, get everybody connected on that. But uh, not only are people just alive with learning this, but I am seeing friendships develop. And uh, so it is something magical that is happening with uh, Vino and Veritas and Dr. Tom Cranawitter. He is, he is on fire. He is so excited about this. It is just awesome. But, so we're going to talk about uh, the Federalist Papers in segments three and four. And uh, so we'll just, we'll keep people on the cliff hanging on that so uh, let's hope so yeah very excited about that um first of all we want to remember you know we we've got to continue to get our brain around this whole socialism romanticizing socialism uh so many people out there they say uh that they are for the people or or climate change or whatever but socialism is force that is what we need to remember. And you see what happens when you have governments that start to use force. Venezuela was a very successful country in the 70s. They now have people waiting in line for coffee and toilet paper and just food. And it's because of the policy of socialism. If people really, if socialism really worked, Venezuela would be having a problem of people trying to get in their border. But instead, Capitalism, which is what America was founded on, free markets, people being able to to go out and keep most of the fruits of their labor, has created the American idea. And that's why we have people that are storming the border. And so uh, when we're talking with people, I was talking with a friend of mine last night. She said, I work with with so many people that like socialism because they say it's for the people. But uh, if it's such a great idea for the people, then you don't have to use force. Steve, does that make sense? Absolutely. I okay, mean, it's, it's it's what we've grown up with, and and these 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 concepts and ideas that seem to be crawling out of the woodwork every time you turn around. It's like I don't get where these people are coming from. 
So the question is freedom versus force, force versus freedom. There's nothing social about socialism. It's never compassionate to take others' rights, property, or freedom via force, whether with a weapon policy or unpredictable and overtaxation, no matter what reason it is. You know, you can have a really good reason, but if the really good reason has to involve force, it's probably not a really good reason. Right, Ben Martin? That's correct. And if you look at this, if you look at what we look at socialism right now, and you look at the 200-year cycle of civilization of a government, you, you find out, or the eight stages of government, you find out that really socialism is, the, is related to dependency of a, of a civilization. And that's the last stage before you, you go back into a time of, of slavery for, all, for bondage. And so that's the last cycle. That's the last step in, this, in the complete cycle of destroying a government or destroying a civilization. Well, and if you think about that, uh, we, we, in a way, are, we're at the precipice right now. Because um, in slavery, uh, that means that the, the slave owner... Uh, provides things right. for all the slaves, and also the people don't get to keep the fruits of their labor. And, and, and you know, they quit working. You know, before that, you go through complacency, and then you go to apathy, and then you, you go into dependency. And that's what the government provides in terms of socialism. And what you're talking about is a, is a slavery, is a, is, a, is a slave owner kind of thing. But the government becomes a slave owner mm-hmm. because the government makes everybody dependent upon it. And Just like at stuff. the <laughs> last stage of the Roman Empire, and then it became... Uh, where we, we call it cir- circuses and bread, where that's what they were giving to the people because the people were really not doing anything anymore. They were apathetic. They were complacent. And then the government was giving them the things they needed to survive. And and it's the same thing that, that happens. That you, you know, you see this repeated over and over again in history. If you study history at all, you see that there, that there is a cycle and there are eight steps basically to it. And that happens throughout the, the, throughout the course of history, throughout different civilizations on different continents, different people, different languages and everything. So it happens. That's just human nature. Human nature never changes. And that's why we have to be talking about these big ideas. That's why we are doing this, this show on the Federalist Papers. That's why we've started Vino and Veritas. I have great hope in all this, but um, three questions when we're talking with people. Do you have any skin in the game? So if you say that we're, we're helping people, are you helping people or are you going out for policies to take money from other people to quote unquote help people? Uh, are we bringing people up or are we yanking them down? And you felt good, but did you do good? And those are the three questions from uh, Dr. Stephen Kessler, Ph.D. Millennial. And we see the socialization of transportation, education, energy, housing, water. Uh, so I want to continue to try to give you the words each morning as you, we think about these things so that you can talk with your friends, your family, your colleagues, that kids are home from college. You've got to realize that they have been indoctrinated in school uh, also, high school, it's going down to high school and uh, junior high and even to elementary school. So we've got to get our brains around these ideas, and we need to engage in this battle of ideas. So I'm going to say something. Thank you, Steve. I so appreciate you as a producer. I just wanted to let you know that. Well, thank you. Okay. Uh, hmm. The days like yesterday, maybe not so much, but today, that's great. <laughs> okay. Um, so, well, you know what? Everybody has a day, and so you were having a cranky day yesterday. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the, the trip to Texas didn't help, so 
<sighs> yeah, but you are back. You're you're back in the saddle here, so yeah. that's good. So, but thank you to the team. Thank you to Steve. Thank you to Patty. Thank you to Zach, and thank you to Keith for keeping this train on the track. And to each of you listeners out there, you are valued. You are treasured. And thank you for listening. I love hearing from you. You can uh, email me, americhicks.com forward slash Kim. Be sure and check out my website. Sign up for our emails as well. We'll keep you apprised of all the upcoming guests and topics and events. So our inspiration, you know, it's baseball season. So I thought, who am I going to look to for inspiration? I'm thinking Joe DiMaggio, right? Okay. And as I'm reading his quotes, I'm like, wow. But this is his inspiration. He says, motivation is something that nobody else can give you. Others can help motivate you, but basically it must come from you and it must be a constant desire to do your very best at all times and under all circumstances. I love that. What do you think, Ben Martin? I think that's pretty good. I love the Clipper. He was such a great guy. He really was. So, Okay, Steve, I've got jokes for you. Okay, the operative word is jokes. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I got three here. How do baseball players keep in touch? Don't know. They touch base every once in a while. Oh, gee. Okay. <laughs> what do baseball players use to make a birthday cake? Okay, the batter has to be in here somewhere, but go ahead. Okay. Oven mitts, bunt pans, and batter. Okay. Yeah, okay. That one. And why do girls like baseball? Don't know. Because diamonds are a girl's best friend. <laughs> I got a fourth one that's probably a little bit more politically. And and what is that, Steve? Well, the the bad AOC, not the good AOC, but the bad AOC, you know, she certainly has expressed her opinions on uh, her, and her concerns with capitalism. So from here on out, she's going to communicate all in lowercase. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you and you make fun of my jokes, really? <laughs> All right, carry on. Okay, carry on. And we've got to get serious because this is serious. We're going to go to our first headline. We've been trying to get to this for the last few days. And um, the col- this is from Colorado Politics. Colorado Para, that is the uh, Public Employees Retirement Association, they posted a $1.8 billion in investment losses in 2018. That means its working participants will soon begin paying in more and retirees will receive less. It says Colorado Public Employee Retirement Association serves some 585,000 current and retired public employees, including teachers, prison system employees, state troopers, and some municipal workers. According to Colorado's Para annual report, the value of the agency's investment portfolio declined 3.5% in 2018 from the previous year. It was Para's first overall loss on investments in a decade, largely a result of sagging markets late in 2018. Now, stocks did make a turnaround early this year. Now, Para said its rate of return on investments over the last three years was 6.9%, and over the last 10 years was 8.8%. Now, I think that they had been guaranteeing an 8% rate of return um, you know, on that. That's what their projections had been, but they had not been hitting that. And so... Um, The bleak investment news came after the state legislature last year passed Senate Bill 200, which was a 30-year plan to fill a $32 billion shortfall in the pension, which pays out more money than it takes in. SB 200 has called for the taxpayers to pump $225 million annually into the fund to help shrink its unfunded liability while reducing some benefits and eligibility requirements. 
It also established guardrails, triggering changes in worker contribution and retiree payout levels to help cushion the blow of poor investment performance. With the investment losses, para-covered employees will be asked to contribute more to the fund, an extra 2.5%. And, you know, for those young, hardworking teachers, that's a lot of money, my friends. And what um, was to have been a 1.5% cost of living increase for the retirees will be scaled back to 1.25%. And, uh, you know, it, it's, para has been a pretty cushy deal. People have been able to retire at the age of 55 and... Um, They've been able to retire at a pretty significant portion of a percentage of what the, was the average of their last, I think it was three years, but last five years of uh, their pay. And we really need to start to move this to, instead of a defined benefit plan, which the taxpayers on, are on the hook for backfilling, to a, a uh, defined contribution plan. And uh, that is something that we need to do. It's so interesting that in the private sector, there's very few um, pension plans where there's a defined benefit. Everything typically has gone to a defined contribution. And I had been talking to a friend of mine, Ben Martin, about this. And she said, how is it that I, as an entrepreneur, as a self-employed person, I have to go out, I have to make my business, I have to make my money. And then a significant portion of that is to be taken to to be put over here in para for a defined benefit for somebody, but yet I don't have a defined benefit. So we've got a, we've got things wacky on this. We do. We're going to have to change this. So let's go to break. Uh, and um, when we come back, let's go through some more headlines. Before we do that, though, after getting whacked by the Dodgers over the weekend, the Rockies are getting their swagger back by blanking the San Francisco Giants 2-0. Game two of the series is tonight. Game three is tomorrow afternoon. And then they return home later this week to pick up where they left off against the Dodgers. And the place to watch all these fabulous games is Hooters Restaurants. It's the place to be this summer. Hooters has this great beach-worthy seafood uh, like amazing fish tacos, delicious snow crab legs, and mouth-watering buffalo shrimp. The girls are coming over tomorrow, and that's what I'm going to order. I'm going to have that. Buffalo for shrimp? You got it. Oh, Last time I had it, it was really good. You're, you're a guy from Louisiana. That's so right. Do they have buffalo shrimp down there? Or is the- well... They have big shrimp down there. Okay. (laughs) And we have one thing that not anywhere else in really the country is called brown shrimp, which are not as good as the white shrimp, but they have have their own flavor. And they're more, they they breed more and they live more in the marshes, in the saltwater marshes, than the the white shrimp that, that that everybody's familiar with. Well, I have no interest. I, I don't know what they have for sure when they do their buffalo shrimp, but I can tell you it's pretty good. I bet it is. So uh, for more information, go to HootersColorado.com. That's HootersColorado.com. Let them know that you know the AmeriChicks, and it's a great place to watch the games. You can actually uh, have everything delivered to your front door, which is what I do when the girls come over. Or you can just pick it up on the way home and, uh, you know, watch the games at home. So uh, that is HootersColorado.com, HootersColorado.com. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back. Ben Martin is in studio. We'll be talking about the Federalist Papers in segments three and four and headlines uh, when we get right back. All AmeriChick sponsors are an exclusive partnership with the AmeriChicks and are not affiliated or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson and grow your business, contact Kim at AmeriChicks.com. That's AmeriChicks.com. 
Don't miss Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Join Kim Munson with the Americhicks at Water's Edge Winery in Centennial or Colorado Cork and Keg in Castle Rock. And now introducing Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins at Ginger and Baker. Kim Munson with the Americhicks would like to thank Otto Fireguard for sponsoring this fascinating exploration of the U.S. Constitution and sponsoring the new Vino and Veritas in Fort Collins. Kim Munson looks forward to celebrating U.S. Constitution Week in Grand Lake. Vino and Veritas, Wine and Truth, a study of the Federalist Papers. Sign up today at Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. Hey, and tonight, I think that James Takeda is going to be over at that Blue Yonder Brewery in Castle Rock, where you could stop by and sign the uh, National Popular Vote Petition. And uh, if you want to know any place here in Colorado where you can do that, go to coloradonvote.org, I think it is. Hold on, I think it's coloradonvote.org. And... Um, coloradonsvote.org, and uh, you can find out where you can go and sign that. You know, people want to know, what can I do? I am just so concerned. Well, one of the few things, one of the small thing you can do is just make sure that you sign that petition, get your John Hancock on that, and uh, all that information is there, again, at coloradonsvote.org. Okay, next headline. Yesterday, when Roger Bianco was in studio, we were talking about property rights, and economic development. And I really was thinking a lot about the conversation afterwards because economic development, we we all like economic development. I think it implies capitalism. It implies free markets. But when I was on city council, I realized, and there's fine people that work in in these arenas, you know, but but the premise, the premise is what I, I take issue with. And that is, is that you have governments that are going out to different businesses and they're basically cutting deals. They're calling it economic development. They'll say, hey, uh, hey, Cabela's, you come to our city and we'll give you a break on some. uh, I'm just giving examples. Um, I'll give you a break on on something and and you might even get some of your the tax revenue that you collect. We might even give you some of that back. Well. I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, hold the phone here. How is it that these guys get a special deal over here? And the little guy that's been, you know, in in the town, they've been creating revenue. You know, many times they sponsor the little baseball team that they don't get a break. And so Roger and I were talking about that. And he said, when a city actually gives a tax break or does a special economic de- deal, in essence, what they're saying, and maybe I'm paraphrasing what I heard from Roger, but, but what they're saying is, is that government is, has been a barrier to business. You know what? That maybe taxes are too high. Maybe regulations are too high. Maybe the permitting system is too complex. And so government is in a, a barrier to that business. And so then they say to some businesses, we'll be less of a barrier to you. And I don't think that that is fair. And you'll hear this also couched under the terms public-private partnership. Well, this is really interesting down in uh, Colorado Springs. And uh, I think that it's from CSINDY.com. It says, the business district now admits that Shields' sales figures were wrong. A low-ball estimate of annual sales expected from the proposed Shields All Sports Store 
in North Colorado Springs was wrong, says an attorney representing the InterQuest North Business Improvement District. The Independent reported on June 14th that the bid, the Business Improvement District, controlled by Norwood Development Group via seats on the board, submitted a document on May 16th that stated Shields' annual sales would be about $20.4 million. Well, that's a third of the $60 million estimate previously provided to the city in support of the $16.2 million sales tax break for Shields. City Council approved the incentive in February. The city also confirmed June 13th the $60 million is correct. So three days after the Indies blog post, Russell Dykstra with Spencer Fan Law Firm in Denver wrote the city an email on behalf of the petitioner, Norwood, which is owned by developer David Jenkins, in which is corrected the figure. Dykstra notes that Shield stores can do sales of $60 million a year or more, which would mean the bid would receive $750,000 plus per year, from the public improvement fee, which is collected like a sales tax alone. But two businesses oppose the exclusion, arguing that removing shields from the bid means shields won't have to pay the 51 mills and property taxes and the 1.25% PIF. And together, those levies would bring in roughly a million a year, an amount that the remaining bid members would have to pay. Tim Leonard owns Deepwater Point Company, a development manager company that represents the two opponents. And Leonard notes in an outline provided to the Indy that if the bid continues to collect its mill levy and PIF with shields in the district, it would receive $2.8 million a year toward payment of the bond. And um, so basically, I'm just going to explain here. Then the other businesses are having to pay full fare. Shields is not. How is that fair? And uh, they had given a lowball estimate on their sales as well. So this is what is a problem when instead of letting free markets work, you have government picking winners and losers. And uh, so we need to free these markets up, and that means that cities and counties, instead of being barriers to business, if it's good for this company to, to be able to pay lower, lower taxes, then it's got to be good for this company. Ben, does that make sense? It makes sense. But, you know, we have the other thing that, that you look at that you try to bring a big business in that's going to employ more people, bring more people in there, and this is going to also create more revenue for the for the government. So there there is some incentive there, and if the incentive is good, if it's done correctly, it can be a boon for the for the town or the city or or whatever the area is. It is and there should be some kind of uh, sundown for that too. You know, it should this should be a sunset where it's not forever. This isn't continuous, but this is to bring the business in and get them going. And uh, you know, it's sort of like the thing that happened in a- with with Amazon trying to go to New York City, and, and you had AOC was there telling, "Oh no, we're it's going to cost the city all this money." It's really not costing the city all this money. It's going to be revenue that the city is going to get, and they're going to they're going to be light on the taxes that are going back to them for for a period of time to get the business to come in. Well, you and I normally agree on everything, but we don't agree on this. Uh, That's okay. And uh, interestingly enough, I I did agree with uh, with, uh, AOC on this as far as giving Amazon tax breaks. Now, from there, we look at it totally differently. But inherently what we're saying, what government is saying to Amazon is, is to all these businesses, we are a barrier to to business here. And so, Amazon, we're going to be less of a barrier to you if you come here. But the other thing, Ben, that people, when they're talking about economic development, that they don't mention is, is you bring in these quote-unquote jobs, and it creates congestion on your roads. 
Sure. It, it puts pressure on your schools. And there's all kinds of uh, different um, cost to the community. And so instead of government manipulating that, let's let the free market work it out instead of having um, all these incentives. So I really am not a proponent of that. I know it says it brings in jobs. But the other thing is, is many times after the sunset, then the company goes out and shops someplace else, and you'll see them move to then another community. So that's why another, another reason that I don't – I'm just not a real favor of that. Well, if it's written right, you know, you say, okay, you're going to be here for so long, but, you know, the, the benefits are going to last here. I mean, the government, if it's a good government, if it's a smart government, if you have a guy like uh, like our, our current president there, you know, that's a businessman, too, that can look at it and say, this is a good deal. I'm going to do it for – you're going to get the benefits for a certain amount of time, and you're going to pledge to me that you're going to be here for a certain amount of time too. It has to be a, it has to be a good deal for the government, and you can't be putting that burden on the other businesses because that doesn't work. You know, yeah. it's you have to look at it economically, financially, capitalistically, and say this is good for the town. This is good for the government. With the people that you're bringing in, and what are they going to what are they what are they going to be their contributions to the to We're the society? We're going to have to continue too. this conversation. Yeah. Because um, I, I see it just a little differently. So Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to go to Jason McBride. Hey, Jason McBride, I was talking a little bit about Amazon uh, regarding the, um, you know, different incentives. But let's talk some more about this article that we talked about yesterday on Amazon not paying any federal income taxes. You did some more research. Well, I did, Kim. Uh, this this thing really got under my skin because this is the, the second time it's kind of come around and come back to life. But this this uh, kind of story came out all the way back in February, and I started digging, and it was funny because, of course, the story hit all the you know the the same liberal papers and media and websites and TV stations all pretty much at the same exact time and it was a it was a yahoo finance report right well yahoo was just one of the uh uh, you know, the, quote, trustworthy news sources that reported it, actually. Okay. Okay. So it actually uh, came from an institute called, uh, let me get the name, I had it right mm. here in front of me. Uh, it's I-T-E-P, the... Uh, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for it, too. No, I know it's here, too, as well. But you keep talking, and I'll try to find it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, you go, to, you go to this place's website, and it's just a liberal mouthpiece. That's all it is. It's one of those sites that's out there to write articles and push agenda. And uh, if you do some digging on the guy that uh, runs the place that was quoted several times, Institute on Taxation, Taxation and, and Economic, Economic Policy. Policy. I found it just when that's, you did. Yep. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, we got that. And, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that uh, is the director of the place, well, he was uh, a senior tax policy analyst for Bernie Sanders before he became the director of this ITEP place. So I, I don't think you have to look too much further to figure out that this was, you know, an orchestrated piece that was written to be designed, uh, you know, to push an agenda out there to the media, Kim. That's all it was. Well, and you had taken a look at the K-1 of Amazon, which is, is their tax filings, which, you know, those, that, you need to be, you know, I mean, that's truthful. And you said, in essence, <clears throat> you saw that Amazon did pay taxes. 
Right, and actually, Kim, it's the 10K. Oh, it's the 10K? I don't want to confuse Okay, I can say, sorry people, about that. But, uh, that's 10K. okay, that's okay. But yeah, so this story came out, and then uh, Elizabeth Warren started repeating it uh, over and over again without checking if it was uh, factual. But yeah, it's interesting in the story, the guy... Uh, here, here's some of his quotes. Now, keep in mind, this guy is supposed to be an expert on taxes, right? Okay. It's hard to know exactly what they're doing. Uh, a couple, uh, the next paragraph, it's hard to tell. Uh, and then he says the company's apparently uh. non-existent tax bill. Well, it's either there or it isn't, so why do you put apparently? Mm -hmm. uh, again, a little bit later, uh, maybe it's hard to tell. <laughs> And I keep saying, if if you're a tax expert, you have the document right in front of you. Why is it so hard to tell? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Uh, and then another one in the article I thought was great: revelations about Amazon's tax liability come despite blah blah blah. And I'm going, well, which revelations? Their financial reports have been out there uh, every quarter and every year, available for public consumption. So. Again, this this was a hit piece, but uh, to your point, Kim, uh, I did look at Amazon's 10K. Uh, contrary to this article, Amazon did pay taxes, and they've paid a lot of them. They paid about 1.4 billion taxes in 2016. Uh, looks like it was 769 million in 2017, and. 2018, the year they were claiming they didn't pay it, it was about 1.2 billion. Wow! Yeah, so that's, yeah, they've paid more in taxes than a lot of companies will have in revenues over their entire, you know, life of business. I tell you, you know what, Jason? I really appreciate you bringing light to this. You know, there's that old adage that if you say a lie enough, then people start to believe it, and that's why. For somebody to take the time to actually push back on this, and uh, you've got the numbers right here, you've, you've put the, the 10K information here, and it is so important that we continue to strive for truth. That's why we're going to be talking about the Federalist Papers in segments three and four. But, you know, if it, you and I were chatting just a little bit after the show yesterday, and if people want to have uh, somebody take another look at their nest egg, you are happy to sit down with them. And you said if they're in a good situation, you're going to say great. But if there's some things that might put them in a, a better situation, something for their own economic well-being and prosperity, you will tell them that as well. There's no pressure. You don't lock the door. If people come in and, and talk to you, you really can sit down with people, and I think you can help them. Well, and, and, you know, one of the ways to help them, like you said, Kim, is to look over what they've got going on and say, I think you look pretty good. I mean, you know, there's tricks in every business uh, to try to create dissatisfaction where you're at on purpose, um, try to find something wrong. And, and I don't I don't like to do that. I wouldn't want someone else doing it to me. Uh, if I looked, if someone came in for a second opinion, I looked over their stuff and, and I thought it looked good, and they say I really like the person I'm with, the first thing you know, I'm going to say is, well, you know, maybe you should talk to the person that you're with first if, you're, if you have a couple of questions or issues and keep that relationship in place before you go and, 
you know, try to move everything mm-hmm. around just because of a couple of little things. Mm-hmm. But but the important thing is, is to take a look. You're in no pressure, and people can right. reach you at chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And if you see the care that you put into each of these conversations that we have every day, I know that you care deeply about your clients, and you will you have their best interest in mind. Well, thank you, Kim. Uh, we certainly do our best, and that that's nice of you to say, and I think that it's true, absolutely. Okay, so chickspresidential.com. That's chickspresidential.com. And, uh, Jason, thank you so much for all this great information. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You betcha. We're gonna, Bye-bye. Great. And we're going to go to break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to put uh, about two hours of information into two segments. There you go. <laughs> and that's with Ben Martin on the Federalist Papers. We'll be right back. You want to succeed, so you need to dress for the job, event, or relationship that you seek. For over 30 years, entrepreneur, stylist, and Americhick Kim Munson has been helping women look their very best. And guys, Kim can help you with made-to-measure shirts that fit great and you'll love to wear. Guys and gals, if you want to up your game and freshen your look, email Kim at Americhicks.com for your initial style consult. Kim at Americhicks.com. Come join the 88 Drive-In for all your favorite blockbuster movies. We're open seven days a week. Admission is only $9 per person, and children under 12 are free. Friday, June 21st through Thursday, June 27th, features will include Toy Story 4, Godzilla, and Aladdin. And remember our popular Monday through Thursday pizza special. Get one 12-inch pizza served fresh and hot from our oven and two tall, cool 16-ounce sodas, all for only 12 bucks. Plus, now you can top it all off with our new sweet, crunchy churros and a steaming cup of hot chocolate. For more information, go to our Facebook page or visit our website at 88drivein.net. You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. You'd like to get in touch with one of Kim Munson's sponsors, but you can't recall their phone number. Find a full list of advertising partners on Americhicks.com. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we dissect issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation. It was good that last segment, having a conversation about economic development. It's, I think it's so great to, to, you know, when we have a, a, you know, look at things a little bit differently, put that out there. I think it's so good for us to have a conversation about that. I think so, too. Yeah. And I think that we're going to talk about the Federalist Papers, and just so happens that this part of the Federalist Papers deals with defense and taxes and taxation. So It worked out pretty well, huh? Working out pretty (laughs) well here, yeah. Okay, well, let's jump in. Let's not waste any time. I think that you wanted to just, uh, once again, kind of just set up where we've been and where we are right now, right? Right. So we're we're in the last segment or the last subdivision of the first volume of the Federalist Papers. And this is all about union. The first volume, the way that uh, uh, Hamilton set it up, was that the first volume of the Federalist Papers, when he published them, was about the union, the utility of the union. So there were three subdivisions to that. First of all, the utility of the union to your political prosperity. That was number one. The second was the insufficiencies of the present confederation, the orders of confederation, to preserve the union. And then the last one was, in which that's the one we're talking about today, the necessity of the government as energetic as the one proposed in our Constitution to preserve the union. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at all of these are preservation, all 
all of these are the things of, of survival, of defense, of the safety, if you will. And so they, we're talking about that. And then when we go from here, the next thing we go to is the the benefits the goodness of the Constitution, and that's the last volume or the second volume, the last volume of the Federalist Papers, which we'll be talking about the next time we meet. Okay, so, well, very good. So this one is the largest segment or largest subdivision within the Federalist Papers, and it talks about, again, the, the overall title is the necessity of a government as energetic as the one proposed in our Constitution to preserve the Union. And the things, the two big themes here are common defense, the common defense, and taxation. And you have to have a government energetic enough and that when they talk about energy, they're talking about the power of government. And so we're talking, we have 14 different essays in here. We're not going to talk about all of them, but we're going to talk about all of them in general. And the, the big theme here for both of those is that, that the power to, to, to provide a common defense and the power of taxation are both interconnected. And in the Federalist Papers, Hamilton, especially in this segment, Hamilton writes every one of these essays. And, you know, Hamilton becomes our first treasurer Mm -hmm. and he sets up our financial institutions here in the United States and the financial processes and organizations that we have. And so his his. Overall theme here is that both of those have to be unrestricted. You cannot restrict the government for the money they have to spend on defense, depending upon what the exigencies are, the mm-hmm. emergencies are. And in, in, in order to be able to do that, you have to not restrict the government in terms of taxation. And it, there are some limits to that as they were put in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the framing of all of that and why this is what they did. So, so the, And this is essays 23 through 36. And, and once again, I want to say that this show is being brought to you by the Harris family, which I just so appreciate it because it's so, so important I, that we yes. talk about these, these great things. So this is essays 23 through 36. And Correct. a quick question, though, is is when we're talking about taxation, it didn't mean unlimited taxation. I mean, the Constitution was put in place to limit the government. Correct. So the taxation where we're at now was never what the founders Never at all what, founders what they, had, thought, had thought, what about, they so. thought about at all. And, you know, and that's uh, uh, over the years, the regressives have used it, you know, our, our Constitution against us to do those things, to collect things that they shouldn't do. And we, we can talk about that later. But what we want to do, we want to go back to the way the Constitution was okay. written okay. and the processes and, and the principles upon which it is. And we have one, uh, one good one. I'm going to skip to that one really quickly just to let you know that there's a quote in here that I think applies to everything. And it says, and, the, and this is what we talk about when we talk about the Federalist Papers and when we talk about going to, back to our founding heritage. And this is very good, and it's, on, it's from 31, from Essay 31. And it says, in disquisitions of every kind, disquisitions are arguments, discussions. Okay. Uh, in disquisitions of every kind, there are certain primary truths or first principles upon which all subsequent reasoning must depend. And, and that's wow. so important, you know. That's, I mean, that's the essence of, of why we're doing this, why you guys do the things that you do, and you get these in, this information out. And that's always been my point here mm-hmm. is that if everybody knew 
what the what was the founding, what our principles were, what our first principles or our primary truths were, uh, the way the government was set up, the more we would understand and the better we would would be able to appreciate and to actually love the government that we have. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what we're going to talk about today. And the, so those two things, we start out with the funds for defense or the the powers of the authority for the defense, for the common defense of the country. And those are the first seven. And one of those includes the militia. So we'll talk about those first. And then the second seven are the power of taxation and, and how that worked out. So we start with number one, which is kind of the one that's a summary or it, it, the introduction to this segment of the Federalist Papers. And it's called The Necessity of Government as Energetic as the One Proposed Constitution. That's the overall, that's the overall theme for this subdivision. And it said the two common themes. And so I'm, I'm going to just do that. Namely, that the means ought to be proportional proportionate to the ends. And this theme is repeated throughout the Federalist Papers. That's one of them. And the second one is the circumstances that endanger the safety of the nation are infinite. We never know what they are. You know, we Washington talked about that a lot when he was talking to his cabinet. They said, well, we have to put a restriction on how many soldiers we have, how many troops we have, how many ships we have, or whatever. He said that would be fine if all the other nations put one on theirs, right. too. But we, we can't control that part. And so that's what he said. So that's why what we need, whatever force we need to defend ourselves, to you know, the existential threats that we may have, we have to be able to meet those. And what they say is, you know, whenever you give a responsibility to someone, you have to give them the necessary inform- the, the necessary powers, the necessary authority to, to meet that responsibility. And, you know, we talk about that. This comes on throughout the Federalist Papers. Mm-hmm. 51 is a really good example, mm-hmm. you know, when we, we'll get to that one, too, and talk about that one. But it's actually that theme is repeated here in these Federalist Papers, too, in these essays. So we have to have the authority to meet the responsibility. And the responsibility, it, you know, it, we cannot define the responsibility we have because we, we do not know we can't control and we do not know what other people will will bring against us, what mm-hmm. forces they may bring against us to destroy our, our mm-hmm. country. So that's You're saying why. we have to be able to have the authority in government to to be able to stand up to whatever that threat might be. That, that, that's in essence what they said. That's, in, in, that's in essence what they say, and that's what they repeat. One is it has to be, and it has to be proportionate to the ends. And that's what we're saying. When we don't know what the ends are, because we don't know what the force is that may be brought mm-hmm. against us, we have to have unlimited authority to do that. And that's why we have, in our Constitution, we have a powerful executive that can do things in a timely manner, and he can do things without really a whole lot of consulting with other people. That's why we want to make sure we always elect a really good president mm-hmm. that can do that, and that he has advisors and things mm-hmm. like that. And then the other thing we put a restriction on that way is that the government has to, by in in uh, Article 1, Section 8, they have to be limited to Two two years worth of funding, that, and that's why our our government budgets for the defense is set up that way. I didn't realize that. Yeah. 
So the okay. guy has the power, the executive, if he sees something, he can do something right away, full force. He has, and that's the war powers that we uh-huh. talk about with uh-huh. Lincoln and we talk about with our other presidents too. And that was set up that way so that whatever force there was, the president had the authority to meet that force, that exigent. Force. But he didn't have unlimited funds because, he didn't have unlimited because Congress funds. has to appropriate the money. Right. And it's set up every two years so that if you didn't like that, and that's controlled by the House of Representatives, you can elect other ones. And that's what it was. That's the power that we have for our government is that we can elect or unelect and elect somebody else to if we don't like the way they're doing their business. This is absolutely brilliant, but this is why we need to make sure when we're going to the ballot box that instead of saying, ooh, do I like that person, uh, let's delve into how they really stand on these important issues. So, hey, Ben Martin, let's go to break. When we come back, let's continue on with this fascinating conversation about the Federalist Papers. This is Kim Munson with the AmeriChicks. Stay tuned. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect your private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Since losing her mother to breast cancer, Karen Levine has helped to organize a local fundraising event called Karen's for the Cure, raising money for breast cancer research. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. Karen Levine comes highly recommended by the Americhicks with Kim Munson. So call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with REMAX Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. Social media is important to the Americhicks. Since it's an avenue we can utilize to hear from and speak to all of our friends. For those of you who enjoy listening to the show, we'd love to hear what's on your radar. Follow us and talk to us at AmeriChicks Twitter and Facebook pages. Also, if you're a business owner who could benefit from some extra foot traffic from like-minded friends, consider advertising on the AmeriChicks radio show. Contact us at AmeriChicks.com or email Kim at AmeriChicks.com. Well, I don't have anything to cry about regarding the Federalist Papers, do I, Ben Martin? I hope not. Yeah, hopefully we bring these to light for everybody. It's great to have you in studio, Ben Martin. You are a former Army Ranger, patriotic historian, and we're talking about the Federalist Papers. Last night was Vino and Veritas in Centennial. Tonight is the first one in Fort Collins, and then uh, the one in Castle Rock will be Sunday. If you want more information on any of those, email me, americhicks.com forward slash Kim. And thank you to the Harris family for sponsoring this show for this important conversation. It cracks me up. Dr. Cranawitter said, what's the difference between Vino and Veritas and all of the major universities in the United States? Vino and Veritas has over 200 people reading the Federalist Papers. That's exactly right. <laughs> boom. Yeah. boom. Okay, so let's jump in here. You had another point that you wanted to make regarding uh, military. Yes, I wanted to talk about, first of all, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why the, the, the our, our Federalists, our Publius, our founders, our framers, set this up this way was that they first talked about in the previous segment that we'd had the subdivision when we talk about the insufficiencies of the present government under the confederation under the articles of confederation these were all the lessons they learned when they were fighting the revolution they didn't have the money 
the states wouldn't give them any money. They didn't have the power to tax. And so that's why this is such a big Got segment. It. And so when we talk about this, we talk about having a government energetic enough to preserve our union, which is what this is segment is all about. So we're talking about the military. Now, everybody was really concerned about the military. They didn't want to have a big military because they had been oppressed by a big military from Great Britain. So one of the things that they talked about, one of the things that the anti-federalist were opposing was having a standing army. But as we talk about here, the army, the 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 measures, the the authority, and the measures to have to be able to to have a common defense, you must have that unrestricted. You can't say we can't have a standing army. We have to have a standing army. And one of the the things that they talked about in that was the reason you have to have a standing army is that. That armies cannot be made up overnight. They have to be made to be able to to meet the challenges that, that come up. They can't just come out of the blue and say, "Okay, I'm I'm an army. I'm prepared. I'm right. ready to do this." So we, that's why the, they said you had to have a standing army. So one of the uh, the second, so like if an enemy attacks, you can't go. Wait a minute, I got to yeah, go get my army. Yeah, I got to get my army. <laughs> and then what they say in number twenty six, and I think this is a very good quote from the Federalists, is that war, like other things, is a science to be acquired and perfected by diligence, perseverance. And by time and by practice. So, I mean, that's why that's the reason why you have to have a standing army, because we go back to the basic precepts we talked about before. The 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 measures to be able to mount a common defense have to be unrestricted. That's why the president has those war powers. Mm -hmm. But but they keep them in check. They keep them in check by the the election cycle. Of the representatives of that, of the, and, the, and our they hold representatives, our elected representatives. Remember, we are a republic, not a democracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. We do not run the government. We elect representatives to run the government for us. Got it. Big difference between those. And we've talked about that before, and we'll talk about it again. So then we go to taxation, because if we have an unrestricted resources to fu- to fund our common defense, we have to have unrestricted taxation to pay for those. Mm-hmm. So whatever the thing would be. So the second part we go to in here is what is called, called the power of taxation concerning the general power of taxation. And that's what these next seven are. They start with number seven, in which is uh, such powers necessary to every constitution, to every real, to good constitution. And we're talking about a good constitution that you have to have this power to tax the people. And one of the things we talked about in the last subdivision, the last time we got together, was that the framers understood from all of the lessons they had learned under the Articles of Confederation, which was oriented towards the states. Like all of the things that came from the Federalists, from the Articles of Confederation, were oriented and directed to the states. And they realized they can't do that. So that's why the Constitution is not directed at the states. It's directed at the individuals. It's we the people. So we the people are the people that that founded the government, that developed the government, and we the people are the, the agents that are affected by the government. And that's a really big point. That's a really 
Important point. Okay. Now, just a question. You said number seven, but I was thinking we were in essays 23 through 36. No, 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 the second seven. The second oh, seven. Okay, are, okay. We, the first seven were 23 through 29, and then the second segment are 30 through 36. Got it. Okay, okay. thanks for clarifying. So the first seven were about the common defense. The second seven were about taxation, okay. which is really mostly for the common defense. Got it. And so we do that. So 30 says in concerning the power, the general power of taxation is that such power must be nece- is necessary to every constitution. And these, so Publius does, devotes seven papers to the discussion of the national taxing power. And again, he says the national government must possess unfettered authority to raise revenue in order to fulfill fulfill its constitutional responsibilities. And then again, we talk about every power ought to be proportionate to its objective. That's the other theme running through here, mm-hmm. the unrestriction, the unfettered, but that you also, it has to be proportionate. And again, like I said, the, the famous 51 that we'll talk about will also talk about proportionality and their proportion of the authority that you have to the problem mm-hmm. or the responsibility that you have. You have to have the power to be able to fulfill the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're talking about that. So we go into that. And then, so that's number 30, which is the general power. That's the introduction to this little segment of the power to, the general power to taxation. And all of these essays are named the same thing, the concerning the general powers of taxation. And the, the importance of the first principles in, this is number 31, the importance of the first principles in morals and politics. That is, again, they must be there. That's, that's what they said. This is a power necessary to every good constitution and that it has to be unrestricted. And it says, again, in Federalist 31, he again emphasizes that the national government, just like I said before, must possess a power to tax commensurate with its responsibilities, a power free from every other control but a regard to the public good and the sense of free people. And it says, and that's where we talk about that one. I'll go through it again. In disquisitions of every kind. And again, we're talking about the importance of first principles in morals and politics. In disquisitions of every kind, there are certain primary truths or first principles upon which all subsequent reasoning must depend. That is key because today uh, I think that the the, the duty of the, the federal government has been... Um, changed, if you will, to mean all these different things. It's not based on these principles that are in the Constitution. It's exactly right, because people don't even look to those because it's too hard to go and find them. You can talk to most of our lawmakers today, our legislators. They've never looked at this. They don't understand it. And they don't understand what our Federalist, what, what our framers were doing, our Federalist framers were doing when they set up our Constitution. So I'm going to, I'm going to quickly sum up in this volume that we talk about, and in the last volume that we talked about, where we talked about the vices of government or the insufficiency of government, and here we talk about how to have that power, that they, these are so similar. So I'm going to read I'm going to read the summary of both of them. So first of all, we talk about number 14, which was the last one, the capstone of, of that. And it says here, happily for America, happily we trust for the whole human race. They, meaning our framers, pursued a new and more noble course. 
They accomplished a revolution which has no parallels in the annals of human society. They reared the fabrics of government which have no model on the face of the globe. They formed the design of a great confederacy which it is incumbent on their successors, that's all of us, to improve it and perpetuate it. If these works portray betray imperfections, we wonder at the fewness of them. If they erred most in the structure of the union, this was the work most difficult to be executed. This is the work which has been new modeled by the act of your convention. That's the Constitutional Convention. And it is that act on which you are now to deliberate and to decide. Isn't that amazing? That is what they said. And so then 36, which is the capstone of this segment, says, Happily will it be for ourselves and most honorable for human nature if we have the wisdom and the virtue enough to sit so glorious an example to mankind. Wow. We are out of time. We're going to have you back next month, okay? Thank you so much, Ben Martin. forward to it. And Joe DiMaggio said, The reason I play so hard is that somewhere out there is some kid who has never seen me play before. And I don't want to disappoint him. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals, and like Superman, stand for truth, justice in the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you. God bless America. Ben Martin, thanks for being here. Talk to you tomorrow. Tell